Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello, Josh Lindsay. Thank Good you. To see you too, Christian. I like your jacket. Thank you. Got to sport the... Yeah, got to sport it. Looking good. Got to represent. And with us, as always, is the amazing technical genius, Jason Rugg. Hey there. Hey there. I'm so glad you were here because, again, once again, we had technical difficulties and it's taken us 10 minutes to get this far. Uh, but this week we are using Zencaster again. Uh, we you know, weren't able to do that with uh, Chris last week, but you know, we're back in business today and hopefully the sound and the video will be better. Hopefully for so. And I, thank you, Jason. I would like to speak from my perspective. Uh, this is a lot harder because every time I talk, you guys are delayed like 60 seconds and it's as if you're ignoring me when I'm looking in your camera, you're looking away like bored and I can't look at you. I have to look, I have to look at me. So that's weird. weird. I mean, I like, I like uh, looking well, at me. I'm, not- I'm vain, right? I'm, I've got some of that in me. So I'll just <laughs> I'll keep doing that, I guess. But all right. Well, let's get this show on the road. We got a special guest we today. Do. Before we get there, though, Christian, what updates do you have for us? Yeah, it has been a super exciting week this week. Uh, last time we were all together, I think I remember telling you I was on pins and needles about the Normandy World War II International uh, Film and Media Festival, and we did get word that we what? won. So. Yeah, that was so incredibly exciting. I was thinking I was going to have to wait till Monday. And then Saturday, I get this, uh, you know, image in Facebook Messenger that just said, congratulations. And it just gave me such excitement because uh, that image of the World War II Film Festival's, uh, you know, like logo or whatever, you see it everywhere in Normandy. And so to see our, um, you know, name in that image was really thrilling. And I've put this somewhere on social media, but basically in 2015, when I went over to Normandy, I got off a train in Caen and I saw this sign that was advertising the World War II Film Festival and Band of Brothers actors and World War II veterans. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's that? I want to go. And the tickets were expensive and they were sold out. So all I could do was read about it that year. Uh, But in 2018, it was held at the Utah Beach Museum, which, of course, was like our home base. And so we were invited to this red carpet gala. And I, you know, met, uh, you know, all sorts of, you know, famous people and veterans. And it was just incredibly exciting. So, you know, from the minute I knew I was going to make a movie, I wanted to enter that film festival. And, of course, I wanted to win. So it just felt like a dream come true for, you know, it took six years, but it was really worth it. The sad news was it doesn't look like anything's going to be happening. So none of those exciting events are going to happen. I spent a whole day crying about it. Um, You know, COVID is a thief and that really made me sad. Um, but we did provide a free link. So this is your opportunity. Uh, the World War II F- Film Festival is going to give everybody the chance to see that um, this weekend. But I guess this is not going to do our listening audience any good <laughs> because this is going to come out next you Wednesday. You missed it, everybody. Uh, Sorry. It. 
Yeah, this is a sorry. lesson. You should be on all. You should be following the girl who wore freedom on all social media, so you already know about this and you've already watched yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's really Shame true you, because uh, we are putting that. we are putting that all over social media so hopefully people got that there are actually two free ways to watch it this past weekend uh, because we're also at the thin line film festival and both the world war ii and the thin line are showing it for free um so if you didn't list you know watch the movie this past weekend your next opportunity to watch it is going to be um at the Port Townsend Women in Film Festival. That is on the girlywarfreedom.com slash festivals. All the information is there. There is a fee, uh, but the film festival after that is the GI Film Festival. And I think that may be free or for a very low fee because it's connected to San Diego State University and KPBS in San Diego. So uh, there are some exciting opportunities coming up for people to watch the film, but they are getting few and far between as our festival season is starting to wrap up. Uh, the other great thing we did this week is we announced publicly that we have distribution. You guys have listening have heard about all of this, but uh, we sent the press release out to all the news outlets. Thank you to Acacia um, Publicist Group for uh, helping us with all of that. And then we also uh, are going to put it on social media in the next couple of days. The press release, you can read it. It's on our website, thegirlwhowarefreedom.com press. Uh, you can click on the you know little link there and you can read our distribution release announcement. We're going to release the trailer with the Film Factory Studio uh, animated graphic in the beginning this week. So that that's really cool. It makes me feel like, you know, all fancy schmancy. Um, and yeah, so exciting stuff that's happening. Um, and, you know, with we'll, the World, yeah. War II doc, or, uh, World War II Film Festival, Besides just being the winner, is there any trophy, plaque, prize? Are they going to send you anything? Like if you were physically there, would they have given you something? Well, if I was physically there, it's my understanding they would have flown me there and they would have put me up in a hotel. And uh, yeah, it's really tragic. Uh, And then, you know, there's the red carpet event and there's the whole, you know, you know, thing. Uh, but no, there's just nothing now. I guess I can print off that graphic that I love so much and stick it on my shelf yeah. back there. Um, do it so, on like nice paper though. Like not just like your normal yeah. paper, like, you know, resume paper. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll make it into a plaque, you know, and stick it up there. That's probably what I'll do. Um, so what I did learn was that Scorpius Fest, where we won the best documentary festival there, they are going to send me a trophy. So that's right. kind of cool. Some festivals do have that. So that's great. And um, yeah, so we still have a lot of work to do um, in terms of uh, meeting these festival deliverables, as well as um, I learned this week from FFS, we still have some rights things that we have to do. So uh, we did pay for film festival rights for some of the media that we use in the film. But now I have to go back and negotiate broadcast streaming rights and things like that. So that's going to be coming up on my list. I also want to tell people we have not forgotten to go down the list of all the distribution deliverables that we have to fulfill. So we are going to come back to that, I hope, next week um, in our podcast and, you know, fill in those details. We've got a lot of new listeners. I want to say thank you for tuning in, for sharing it with your friends. Uh, It really means a lot to us. Uh, If you could leave a comment or some sort of, um, you know, input on iTunes or whatever you uh, listen to this podcast on, that would really mean a lot. Uh, We really are trying to grow our 
podcast listening base. We're going to start a new Patreon page. We've worked on all of the levels that are going to be super fun. And we have made our about video. So we're editing that. And I hope to release that in the next two weeks. Uh, It's just taking a little longer than I thought. So Uh, that's, yeah. It just struck me. I I don't know if we've ever really talked podcast strategy and all that about making the film and then making a podcast about making the film. We should probably at some point do an episode where we talk about, you know, the strategy that we had going into this and why we did it and everything. We should probably do that at some point because that is a component now of being a filmmaker online is having that that podcast presence or, you know, things like that. That would be a good episode to do at some point. Yeah. You know what? Are you you saying there's a strategy behind this podcast? (laughs) I think there was at the start. (laughs) Oh, there's still strategy. And basically we will do that podcast, Jason, and I'm going to have you on as the guest, but I mean, you know, basically it is to share the behind the scenes stories uh, because I wanted to find a way to capture those. And I want to be an Indian guide of sorts um, to uh, any other filmmakers. And a lot of people have said they found it very useful. So, um, so anyway, as that being said, uh, it's really nice to talk to other filmmakers about their own journey because I only have my limited narrow view. And I met a really great filmmaker that I was very impressed with at one of the film festivals that I went to in person at the Flathead Lake International Cinema Fest. I saw his film there and um, I, you know, I was really pretty blown away by it. I learned some stuff. I thought it was amazing. He seemed like an awesome guy. And uh, he was one of those do-it-yourselfers. And so um, Jason, uh, Jason, I'm sorry, Josh, it's your job. Why don't you introduce our guest? All right, well, Alex, why don't you uh, reveal yourself, turn on your camera. We've got Alex Mayer with us. Thank you for being here. He is a uh, filmmaker. I'm going to, I see Black. Is he here? Hello, Alex. Yeah, he is here. I see him. Hey. Are you seeing me now? (laughs) I forgot everything is delayed about two minutes for me. So, um, but oh yeah, <laughs> uh, let me read Alex bio. So you get to know him. Alex graduated from college with a degree in digital cinema. I want to ask about that. Cause when I was in film school, they were just getting into digital stuff and the film school hated it. They wanted nothing to do with it. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, had a dream to become an outdoor filmmaker in 2015 hiked, the 1,200-mile Pacific Northwest Trail and made a documentary film about it. That's where he decided to pursue this career full-time and pursue outdoor adventure filmmaking, but did not find any financial success until his third project, the Hey Duke Trail, and now is starting a fourth project on the Continental Divide Trail called The Mind, Body, and Soul, The Nature of Well-Being. Alex, thanks for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. So, Alex, you like to hike, I guess, 1,200 miles. That seems like a long walk. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> um, it's kind of one of those things that the more you do it, the more you get into it, and then you, you start to kind of need it, I think, for for your kind of overall well-being, and that's kind of where I'm at at this point. I've kind of worked on building that into my life. So did you really hike the whole 1,200 miles? Yeah, yeah, that was my first through hike that's what they call those long distance trails uh, and that was from glacier national park in montana to uh, the west coast olympic national park in washington that was your first one eh so how long did what, that yeah, take? what are you supposed to do after 1200 miles <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it was my first long hike, I would say. Um, I went to school in uh, Michigan's Upper Peninsula, and that's kind of a wild and remote place. It's lots of woods and um, lots of wilderness there. So that's kind of where I uh, got introduced to backpacking and hiking and that kind of stuff. But before I did the PNT, I hadn't really done any long distance backpacking. So that was that was a big leap of faith, I guess, to, to do that trail. So passionate about outdoors and hiking, but also interested in filmmaking. Tell us about how you got into filmmaking. Yeah, I guess that started all the way back in high school. Um, I think I was pretty lucky to figure out what I wanted to do with my life early on. I've kind of known that I wanted to make movies all the way since I was probably 16 years old or something. And that just started with um, snowboard movies mostly because uh, I was a big snowboarder and I loved making movies with my friends about us snowboarding and after a certain point, I was starting to spend more time filming and editing than I was snowboarding. <laughs> so um, that kind of grew from there into um, more documentary style stuff as I uh, went to school for it and started getting into hiking and doing more outdoor filmmaking and stuff like that. Where did you go to school for your digital film degree? Uh, that was Northern Michigan University in Marquette and it was right on Lake Superior. So that was a really pretty place to go to school. And so the, the actual studies was in specifically digital cinema. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. When I was getting into making movies, that was kind of just as the transition into digital was getting popular, I think. Um, especially with still cameras. Um, when I started making movies, the digital video cameras still really sucked. I mean, that was like early 2000s, 2005, 2008-ish. Um, but as I was going to college, that's when like the red cinema cameras were coming out. And so digital cinema cameras were starting to get pretty good at that point. And at least at Northern Michigan University, they had fully embraced that whole uh, trans transition to digital. So that was pretty cool that I got to use some of that equipment there really expensive stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really awesome. I was talking to somebody else that was in college doing an art thing and he had, he had, you know, free subscriptions to all of these programs even, and was able to use equipment, but it really spoils you because then you get out in the real world and you've got to buy all that stuff yourself if you're not working for a big company. Uh, and it's not cheap. Yeah, exactly. have, Basically, only in this past year is when I feel like I've started to have some of my own um, camera gear that I'm kind of proud of and that I can use in a professional setting. Otherwise, I've, I've just kind of been making do with cheaper gear and trying to make it look a little bit more professional. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about the gear. So I did see your movie Splitboarding uh, the Rockies, and I really, I really want you to talk about that because I was so I didn't even know what splitboarding was. So that was an education in itself. Uh, one of the most interesting things that I learned was how you decided where it was safe to splitboard. And so uh, you know, through your documentary, I learned all sorts of things. You know, I learned about a new way to snowboard. I learned. Um, you know, how to make sure that I don't get covered in an avalanche. Um, you know, I learned how to stay alive, stuff like that. So um, 
but I was very curious about your equipment, you know, what you did for camera, what you did for um, mics and stuff like that. And basically, why don't you explain, uh, first explain split boarding, explain how you got that, all that equipment where you got it, how you managed the equipment kind of, and, and what it was that you were using. Um, yeah. Why don't you just talk about all of that? Yeah, I guess that starts with my move to Montana in uh, November of 2019. So that was, it's all fairly recent still. And when I came out to Montana, that's when I got into splitboarding. So I've been snowboarding for a long time. Um, but splitboarding is basically a, a kind of a specialty snowboard that splits in half. And then you can turn it into cross-country skis, basically. And you put these things called skins on the bottom of the board. So they stick to the board and there's like a felt on the other side of it. And then that's how you like climb up the mountain. So you can go uphill, but they kind of stop you from sliding back downhill. And then when you get to the top of the mountain, you peel the skins off and put the snowboard back together. And then you get to snowboard down. And it's a lot of work, but it's a really, really cool way to kind of get out into the mountains in the winter. Because when the snow's that deep, I mean, even snowshoes is a lot of work. So you kind of need skis or something like that. And it's it's something that's it's been around for a while, I think, probably over a decade. Um, but it's only starting to gain popularity um, pretty recently in the past few years. So um, I've had a lot to learn <laughs> as I got into that. Um, just being in the backcountry in the winter, is it's a entirely different game than anything else I've done before. So um, it's something that I've been kind of very cautious and kind of conservative as I get deeper into the backcountry. And um, they really hammer that home when you take an avalanche course because I came away from that course, just being afraid of everything. Basically <laughs> you just realize that like the mountains can kill you in like any possible way. And there's so many things that you wouldn't even see coming. You could just get yourself into trouble like completely by accident. So, um, it's been a, a big learning process, but it's also been really fun. Um, I guess as far as camera gear that I bring out there, uh, that's kind of, transitioned over from my hiking documentaries it's pretty similar to what i carry on those things uh, because obviously you're you have to carry all this camera gear on your back and so that can get pretty heavy pretty quickly so all my camera gear i basically buy all of that stuff with weight as one of the top priorities i try and keep this stuff pretty light um, but i also have a pretty high priority of getting high quality images too so um, it's it's a balance, I guess, that I'm always trying to figure out how much weight am I willing to carry versus how much quality am I willing to sacrifice. <laughs> so um, within the past year, I've been using a full frame mirrorless camera as my main camera, and that's a Sony a7 III. And I just have a all-in-one lens on there. So it's a 24 to 240 millimeter. So that way I don't have to switch out lenses or anything like that. Um, and then just a regular, uh, video mic on there, the Rode video micro. And so that's what films most things. Um, and then I carry a GoPro cause there's kind of no reason not to for something like that. It's nice and small. Um, just recently, like, especially, 
Sorry, um, I was going to yeah. say, especially like the Hero 9, I just got that myself, and it's got some internal stabilization. There was like a, it's probably still there, a $350 intro package that you can get. Um, and, you know, I've really been enjoying that. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, yeah. go ahead. What were you going to say? I've been really impressed with the GoPros. Just the image quality and that stabilization is is huge. That makes a big difference. Um, but I just got a 360 GoPro too, so I've been having a lot of fun with that. And that's a whole other thing to learn how to film and edit with. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And then I think the I thing bet. that you had some questions for was the drone too. Because um, yes, I, um, I've had two drones now and I got a, a smaller drone that's kind of more for um, backpacking and carrying long distances and stuff. Uh, so I, on a lot of trips, not all the trips, but most of the time I would bring that out too. Um, so that's a DJI Mavic Air. And that thing's nice and small. It's pretty impressive how little of a package they can uh, make a high quality drone out of. Yeah. And, you know, it really, really makes your uh, your filming work spectacular because, I mean, where you are is basically where no man has tread before. Like you go in these places where it is really hard to get to. I mean, you're you're really pursuing these places that are. Uh, so remote and, you know, that it really takes a lot of commitment and dedication to work that hard to get there to snowboard down <laughs> without, you know, any other people or help or things like that. And so the views are just spectacular from up above, like when you're, you know, walking through and, um, you know, do you do, you often talk to the camera a lot, which you do very comfortably, much better than I do, sort of explaining what you're doing. Do you do that with a GoPro? How do you do that? Um, I do that with the mirrorless camera too. So I just okay. hold it out at arm's length and at 24 millimeters, it's like just wide enough to kind of capture me in there. And it's funny that you say that it looks comfortable because that's been a long process. It's it's taken a long time to get there. <laughs> Um, it was definitely very awkward feeling at first, um, but I've, it's taken just a lot of practice and I've kind of learned to uh, be more comfortable with it now. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really, I watched a little bit of your Hey Duke trail and I didn't watch anything before that, but even from Hey Duke to split porting the Rockies, I can see your improvement. Um, you know, your improvement in camera, your improvement in storytelling, because you didn't just film all this or do all of these activities you've also edited your own stuff isn't that right yeah yeah basically the only thing that i don't make with my movies is the music that's just something i've i've never had a talent for (laughs) (laughs) well alex you can't do everything (laughs) yeah that's that's actually been a a learning process too (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's good to know your limits says the guy like 1200 miles (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You seem like a guy that might have a hard time accepting limits. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. Well, and you often take people with you. Like you don't seem to go alone. You do have other people to hike with and to do stuff with, right? Yeah, it's um, it's it's on and off and it kind of depends what I'm doing or who's willing to go on these adventures because a lot of my friends have learned to ask a lot of questions before we go out and do stuff because a lot of times we'll end up getting into some kind of gnarly situations um, and maybe they weren't expecting that or something. (laughs) 
Yes, educating your crew is a really important part of pre-production. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want everybody to know, uh, you know, what's involved. So it sounds like to me, I mean, if we're looking at movie making, um, yes, you've done all this sort of on your own. You figured it out. But there are costs involved. There's equipment involved. There's, And that's a lot of equipment. It's not just the film equipment. It's everything to keep you alive. Um, and so talk to me about the budgets for the stuff that you do. Yeah, I've never... Up until this current project that I'm working on now, I've never really had a budget. It's just kind of been like, this is the money that I have available for this, so I'm going to make it work within that. Um, and as far as just acquiring camera gear and camping gear and all that stuff, that's just kind of like a constantly evolving process. And it's a lot of it is about just learning to make things work with whatever I have. And then if I can do something successful with that gear, then hopefully that'll bring in a little bit of money that I can reinvest back into my next project or the next gear and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, with this yeah, so current project, um, this is kind of like the first time that I've actually had a little bit of money to spend on gear and kind of invest in stuff. Yeah. So talk to me about uh, sort of your journey about, you know, how you've gotten your film work out there and how you've monetized that what options have been open to you and how have you made the money you've made to kind of keep going yeah that's been a huge learning process and i think i still have a long way to go on that because i've only just begun to have success making money from these personal projects within the past like year um but it started out with that Pacific Northwest trail movie, that was kind of my first like big personal project. Um, and that probably took, I mean, it was three months to hike and then probably at least six months to edit. And I, I did like a local showing in Marquette, Michigan at one of the outdoor gear shops. So that was cool, but it was all for free. And I was just excited to have people show up and watch it. I mean, there's probably 40 or 50 people there. So that was pretty cool. But that was kind of the end of that. Like, I, it, it was on YouTube. At this point, it has, I don't know, 60,000 views or something. So that's pretty good. Um, but I, I never made any money from that project. And I kind of accepted that I wouldn't be making any money from these personal projects for a long time. It would take a lot of practice and a lot of kind of just development of my own skills until they were good enough, I thought, to, for people to actually care about it and watch it. <laughs> So with that mentality, I went forward and made another hiking documentary about the North Country Trail, um, which in its entirety, it's a 4,700 mile trail, but I only did a 550 mile section of it across Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And basically the entire point of that project was to just kind of develop my skills a little bit further and, and practice. Um, I wanted to... I knew I had something with the Pacific Northwest Trail movie, but I knew it still needed a lot of refinement and development. Um, so that was kind of the point of that next project on the North Country Trail. And basically same results. Um, I showed it a little bit locally. Um, that was all for free. Put it on YouTube and that got a little bit of attention on YouTube. Um, but the, the major point with that project is that after I finished the North Country Trail project, I had like a really good idea of kind of what my style was or what my vision was or kind of like how I wanted to make these movies. Um, 
So I, I had kind of ironed all that stuff out and then I could actually bring that into a, the next project, which was the Hey Duke project, figure it out on the Hey Duke trail. And um, going into that project, I was a little bit more confident that I had like a cohesive style and narrative that I could actually um, form a movie around. Um, and that was by far the hardest hike I've ever done too. So that kind of helps like draw out a lot of this uh, narrative about kind of self-improvement in nature, which is uh, kind of my style, I guess. <laughs> so I want to ask you real quick, the beginning of that, there's a lot of talk about trail names uh, yeah. that I thought was interesting. So, but can you talk to us about trail names real quick? It's just a sidebar and tell <laughs> us your trail name. Yeah. Um, so if you're not familiar with through hiking and the whole culture that surrounds that, um, a lot of people have heard about like the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, those are through hikes. And when you do a through hike, a lot of times you'll get a trail name, especially if you're on one of these more popular trails with a lot of people hiking it. Um, because the whole idea is that like doing a through hike is it's so wildly different than living your normal life that you almost have like a, a different identity while, while you're out there because it's, kind of a chance to just like restart and kind of like maybe be the person you've always wanted to be or just kind of get like a fresh start. Um, so a lot of times people get trail names as kind of just a way to solidify that, I guess. <laughs> um, so I got my trail name on the Pacific Northwest Trail from a guy named Fitty Shrimp who hiked the Appalachian Trail. So the PNT was his second through hike. And um, he, he just saw the ridiculous amount of camera gear that I was carrying and he gave me the trail name money shot. <laughs> <laughs> it does take a lot of money to make your good shots. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, okay. So you said the Hayduke trail was the toughest thing that you'd ever done. So how long were you hiking and why was that one so hard? Um, that was, it was an 800 mile trail. So it's not the longest one, but it was like mile for mile, it was by far the hardest because there basically is no trail for probably 75% of that route. You're just, um, going cross country through the desert. Uh, it's in Utah and Arizona. So it's, um, really hot, no water. You're in canyons. A lot of the time, the terrain is super rough and it's really hard to navigate. It's very easy to get lost. As you can see in the movie, we got lost a few times. <laughs> And, um, it's just really, really rough hiking. So like, I don't know, one mile on the Hey Duke trail might be equal to the effort that you would put in for five miles on the Pacific Northwest trail or something like that. Um, but the whole theme of my movies is to kind of like improve yourself by going out into the wilderness and getting to know yourself and, um, kind of confronting a lot of the things that we tend to ignore in regular life. So just that environment on the Hey Duke Trail, I think was a very good environment to kind of talk about that stuff. And so um, how long then did that take you? That, took, that one took two months. Okay. Yeah. So talk about some of the things that you have encountered, you know, as you've been doing these hard trails internally and personally. Talk about what you've, what it's brought out in you or what you've learned. Um, I guess I could start by 
just talking about my motivation to do the first through hike. Um, so that was in 2015. I had just graduated college. I knew that I wanted to do outdoor filmmaking as a career, but I had no idea how to actually make that happen. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of like job opportunities for somebody who wants to do that. And it's, you, it's kind of an industry where I think you have to know somebody to start finding those opportunities. Um, it's very hard to just apply at National Geographic and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so I was, I knew that's what I wanted to do, but I also knew that there was no defined path for doing so. And I was very afraid that I was going to give up on that dream and end up doing some kind of like nine to five desk job where I would just be stuck inside all day and not really like following my passions or anything like that. So I was very much afraid of that kind of lifestyle and I was kind of maybe running away from it or trying to figure out a way to um, turn my passions into a career. So that was like the motivation to do that hike. And um, I kind of figured if I can do this hike and make a documentary about it, then maybe I can at least take myself seriously as an outdoor filmmaker. And maybe this is something that I could pursue as a career. Um, and the, the funny thing is, I guess once I got out there and once I actually started getting into the hike, it started bringing up all these other kind of personal things I've been dealing with, I guess. Um, when you, when you spend that much time alone in the wilderness, you just have a lot of time to think. And I realized that in regular life, you don't, you don't have that kind of time. And we have all these distractions and stuff like that, where we tend to ignore these things and we don't really dig into these kind of, um, deeper things that tend to bother us because we can distract ourselves and avoid them. Um, so I kind of got into a lot of that personal stuff on the trail and it was hard and uncomfortable, but after finishing the trail, I realized how like therapeutic that process was and how important that was for me to deal with a lot of that stuff. And, and I'm assuming you're hoping that you want your audience to come on that same journey by watching yeah. you it emotionally causes us to think about those things in the time we're watching you go through it, correct? Mm -hmm. And that was something that I wasn't planning on putting in the movie, or I, I didn't even realize that that was going to happen. It was kind of like an accidental discovery. But once I discovered that, I realized that this is kind of like the path that I want to go down. Um, it's, that's going to be like the main theme of my movies, and that's kind of the thing that I want to explore um, because there's there's a lot of a lot of paths you can take within there. I think. Um, so yeah, that's kind of just like, um, that was, I think that was the beginning of a path for me. I, I, by doing that trail that sent me down a path that I'm still on and I'm, I'll probably be on for a long time. Josh, did you yeah, have a I was question? Ask Alex, who would you say your audience is? Uh, you know, when I look at your films and hear you describe what you're doing, I, I think of my son, who's a teenager and he likes the, the Bear Grylls shows you know where do you know do you, yeah, yeah he's on netflix or something like yep. that and, and and he's more kind of you know action adventure guy and you know survival and will will i be able to live off of no water in this desert for 24 hours and it's just kind of fun adventurous and it, but it's geared towards kids or anyone who likes adventure documentary type stuff like that 
Um, who, who would you say is your audience or who are you trying to get in front of? That's something that I'm still figuring out. Um, because originally I thought it was like outdoor people, hikers and kind of adventure type people. Um, but especially after making the Hey Duke movie and seeing all the people that have reached out to me since then, it's like the people that watch and enjoy that movie are there's a huge variety of people that are into it. And I'm still having a hard time figuring out who these people are, like what the commonalities are. Cause it's everything from girls in college who thought that the adventure stuff was cool to like 95 year old grandmas who are like happy that some young kid is out there trying to improve himself or something like that. And then everything in between. I think it's funny. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I maybe I come in the in-between part, but I kind of think of myself as the 95-year-old grandmother when I'm watching your films. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I was uh, really compelled because, you know, A, I learned things that I never knew about before. You took me places I will never be able to go. You know, I have a bad back and bad knees and I'm overweight and all of these things. So I could never do that. And um, so you're allowing me to go to a place where I could never go. Uh, And then as you experience those emotions, I experience those emotions with you as well. And I can, you know, be introspective about kind of what's going on in my own life with those things. Mm So, you know, it does have a, you know, and I think it would appeal to your son, you know, Josh, just because he's interested in those things. So there is a wider audience than you would expect with an outdoor adventure movie like yours, I think. Yeah, I was surprised by that. And I'm still trying to find commonalities between these people. It's, if you guys have an it's idea to... who that audience is, <laughs> I could use some help. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to market really when you don't – like we have a team of people that are right now at this very moment scraping the data from our Google Analytics to help us refine who our target audience is. Um, but I have you know a whole team of people trying to figure that out even for me because I see that same width of audience engagement and I'm like, how do you really reach these people? But that brings up another Another question um, in terms of how you are making money with these films. And and I know you've got a day job. Um, I'm using air quotes here uh, while you're trying to, you know, make this movie. But talk about your day job and then talk about what you have done to make movie with m- money with what you've made. Yeah. So up until I moved to Montana a little over a year ago, I was working at an advertising agency. Um so they, they did a lot of commercials and all kinds of stuff like that, a lot of marketing. And I was mostly doing video editing there. And since I moved to Montana, I've basically been working for myself. Um, I'm, I guess my day job, my kind of main freelance job right now is um, editing documentaries. And pretty much specifically for one guy who I've been working with in Michigan since about 2015. So he's he's been making documentaries since like the 1970s, and he's been doing this for a long time. <laughs> he's a sociology professor, and he makes um, documentaries about uh, cultural heritage and stuff like that in Michigan. And um, I've been his videographer and editor for a while now. So we've had a kind of a long-term good working relationship there. And um, that's been a good kind of... I don't know if I'd say fallback or um, stable just a good source steady, of income. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah reliable source of income because there's basically always work to do there. And I'm trying to finish up all of our movie, movies before I leave for this next hike in April. Um, are, are but, his I mean, films, that's, that's Alex, still might are, be going on when I get back. Are his films funded by his yeah. school? Um, it's it's a little bit of everything. Right now we're working off of a grant from the Scandina- Scandinavian American Foundation. Um, so they gave us a grant to make three or four different documentaries. Um, so it's it's a lot of grant-funded works. Um, sometimes it comes from the school. Sometimes it comes from DVD sales, too. All right, so talk to us then about how you've made money on your movies. Uh, so Have you found distribution? Did you win film festivals? Have you self-distributed? What, what have you done? Yeah, I'd say probably 90, 95, 99% of the money that I've made from my personal projects has been from Amazon Prime and from the figure it out movie. Like that's basically the only thing that's made me money, but it's been really successful within the past year. And I've been just kind of blown away by how successful that has been. And it's been a big part of my income for the past year and a half, probably. So tell us about that process. How do you distribute through Amazon? Although I have just heard they've stopped opening that door to independent filmmakers actually. Yeah. I just heard that too. I don't know the full details, but I, from what I understand is that they're, I don't know if they completely cut off documentary films or if they're severely reducing the number of documentaries that they're accepting, but yeah, that'll be a a big blow to my way of distributing movies. (laughs) Um, How does it, how has it worked for you? You um, just upload it and then you hope it gets marketed and. Yeah, pretty much. Like I, I uploaded the Hey Duke movie in the summer of 2019, just because I, I was looking for places to put it on, and I found out that you could just upload your movie to Amazon Prime, and it's it's surprisingly easy. I, I had no idea that it was so easy, but once I looked into it, it's not much different than YouTube. You basically just give them a file and give them the specific captions file, and like your all your video and captions formats have to be real specific. So that takes some time to figure out. But once that's all right, you just upload that and you submit the descriptions and everything and key art and stuff like that. And then if they like it, they'll accept it. And for the most part, as long as it's professional looking, they, they would accept it. At least they did back then. I don't know how it's going to go moving forward. And then it's basically just random luck. If, if your movie gets noticed or not, um, or it's kind of up to their algorithm and how people are watching it. And apparently the figure it out movie triggered the right things in their algorithm to kind of push it up near the top. And it ended up on like the main documentary page with all the other documentaries that are like right there when you go to that category. So the movie got watched a lot just because of that. But I basically had no control over that. That was, that was luck. I think (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're right. If they change those, I mean, I know the reason that they're changing them is because they are doing their own in-house work now and they want to promote that. And there's a lot of that. Um, but it really does sound like it's clamping off opportunities for independent filmmakers. And uh, those things are kind of, um, you know, you know, lifeblood to guys like you. So um, yeah. have you had 
any luck on the film festival circuit and talking with distributors? Not really. Um, I think I've been in maybe four film festivals with all my movies. Um, and I mean, it's, it's definitely cool getting into a film festival and having people watch your stuff, but I haven't really seen any translation into any monetary success because of that. Yeah, frankly, I haven't either. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's what that's what's been interesting about this film festival. There's this, I think, false idea that, you know, you're going to get into these film festivals and you're going to meet these distributors and they're going to want to distribute your film and, uh, you know, then something's going to take off. But, uh, you know, I don't think it's just COVID that I haven't, because I've talked to other filmmakers who said the same thing. Yeah, that's kind of a myth. I thought the same thing and didn't really happen for me either. Now, I will say in doing as many as we have, we've built now a resume of awards and things like that, which certainly does help as our distributor goes to market our film. Um, and and hopefully it'll help me as I market myself as a filmmaker uh, mm-hmm. to try to raise money. I don't know. We'll have to see when I raise money for the next project. But um, yeah, so I mean, this has really been interesting. Jason or Josh, do you guys have any other questions for Alex? Yeah, just as we kind of wrap up, I was curious, uh, your next project, You we is it the uh, Mind, Body, and Soul project? Yep. So what what is that one uh, about? So that'll be another hiking documentary. Um, this one is going to be on the Continental Divide Trail, which will be by far the longest trail I've ever hiked. That one's 3,100 miles, but it'll be much easier mile for mile compared to something like the Hey Duke, because this one's actually pretty well established and there's trail markers and navigation and stuff shouldn't be so hard. Um, but this, it's going to keep building on the themes that I've been developing with my previous movies. Um, just um, exploring how spending time in nature is good for our well-being and it's going to have a specific look at physical aspects like physical health um, mental health and then spiritual health the the spiritual side of things is something that i haven't really explored very far in my own movies so i'm kind of excited to dive into that a little bit and um, i'll be hiking this trail with my girlfriend and two dogs so that'll be another a change compared to my last movies. Um, and I'm going to be interviewing a lot of people who are uh, pretty well established or well known within the outdoor community too. So it's going to include a lot more than just our hike on the trail. It's going to have a lot of interviews from people all over the country who've spent a lot of time in the wilderness too. Now, have you uh, actually sat down and talked to those dogs and let them know what they're in for because <laughs> <laughs> they need to be prepared and they don't seem to have a lot of choice in the matter. <laughs> yeah, we, we have talked to them about it. <laughs> and, uh, they're they're pretty good trail dogs. They they love going out and hiking and they've got tons of energy. Well, so you I need to make sure that they sign them. sign a release. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to see <laughs> their their paw print release. Yep. Jason, I think that you had a question. Yeah. Uh, so this has been kind of eating at me ever since you started talking about cameras. I was like, okay, so he's going on these like several thousand mile long treks. What are you doing for a power solution yeah. and for offloading footage? Because that's got to be a lot of footage and you need a lot of power. 
So yeah. how, how do you keep this going while you're out? There aren't outlets out there like every thousand <laughs> feet or so. So so what's that like? Yeah, that's a, a constant battle, basically. Um, the power solution is simple enough, especially with these newer mirrorless cameras that can be charged through USB power. So I have five batteries for my camera, and then I have a big uh, battery bank that I can charge batteries with. Um, the The footage thing is a little bit trickier, and I'm going to be trying something new on this hike. Um, on the trail, if our cards fill up completely and we're out of space, um, I just kind of devised a solution where I can plug a external hard drive and my SD card reader into my phone and transfer files that way from the card onto the external hard drive. Um, it's wow. kind of slow and I still haven't figured out all the bugs yet. So hopefully we'll get that to work. <laughs> and then I'm going to be sending what's that called actually, a bounce box from town to town. <laughs> what's a bounce box? Yeah. Um, it's something that you mail to yourself basically. So every, uh, we'll say about 200 miles. I'm going to mail my computer to the next post office. And then when I walk into that town, I can pick up my computer at the post office and then I'll have more hard drives and I'll actually have a computer that I can offload footage and organize and do a little bit of editing too. So I'll be sending that in like a Pelican wow. case and hopefully that stays safe and everything. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like to me, I mean, between the batteries and the camera and the, you know, the computer, I mean, that, that gets pretty heavy. That battery bank can't be light. Yeah. Um, just a couple of days ago, actually, we kind of put our backpacks together and put all the gear together. And um, my base weight is about 28 pounds, I think. So, so base weight is just all of your gear without food and water, without any of the consumable stuff. So there's some of these sections are long, so we'll be carrying over 20 pounds of food and then maybe 10 pounds of water on top of that in some parts. So 28 pounds is, is a little bit too heavy for me. I, I'm going to try and get that down a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. You know, in the Army, Hunter, they do rucks. And I think the, the stuff they have to carry is like 80 pounds on their back. Yeah, that's um, nothing compared to what people in the military carry <laughs> they have really it's ridiculous <laughs> but i will i will tell you it destroyed his back and his knees and every military guy i've talked to in the infantry uh their knees their back and their hearing is basically shot by the time they're 30 so yeah um <laughs> you know you got to be careful carrying all that weight yeah yeah you can do it for short distances but over long periods it, it really starts to break you down so I'm going to have to figure something out to lighten up the pack just a little bit. <laughs> I'd like to get it closer to 20. That's that's manageable. It sounds wise. So, Jason, did you finish asking your questions? Yeah, I actually, I, I completely forgot. Um, I have it sitting here on my desk. Uh, I have one of these. It's a My Passport Wireless Pro. And so it's oh, actually okay, its own little hotspot. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if you if you have one of these. Yep, this is exactly. Somebody <laughs> just sent me a project on this. <laughs> yeah, these these are great because you can actually. It's the same sort of thing where you can get it on your phone. You can. It's its own Wi-Fi hotspot with a battery built in, and it's a hard drive, uh, Christian. Mm -hmm. um, so 
you can get everything into one place without necessarily needing a computer. It's kind of cool. It's a little And how much are clunky. those? Ah, I don't, I've, I've had mine for a couple of years. I'm not sure. It's a couple hundred bucks. Uh, and it's called My Passport? Yeah, My Passport Wireless. Yeah, I was using another thing called a Narbox. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but it's yeah. something similar. It's basically a hard drive, SSD hard drive that you can plug a card into, and then you can control the whole thing with an app on your phone. And that's what I used on the Hey Duke Trail. And it's a really good idea. And if it worked, it would have been perfect. But it was super glitchy and like very, very unreliable. So I'm, I'm moving away from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you don't want to trust your footage to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I bought another hard drive. So I was backing everything up redundantly and just in case because one hard drive just did just like wipe itself for no reason. And luckily, I still had all the footage on my SD cards so I could just re-import that was scary. <laughs> yeah, that is scary. We had some of those same issues in Normandy because Wi-Fi is horrible. And so, you know, uploading in DIT was a nightmare for us. Um, we had, you know, three cameras, a drone and two Sony F55s and, you know, iPhone footage. And, you know, it was, it was a mess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> important, it's important to figure out all of those things that you don't think too much about for sure. But, you know, I want to commend you, Alex, because you, uh, you know, the worst, first thing that I learned from Ken Burns when I took my only filmmaking class in masterclass was, uh, you know, you, you can't really study how to do this. You just have to go out and do it. And, you know, you, you definitely have taken that bull by the horns and you figured that all out. Uh, I admire your, um, you know, your perseverance, your determination, your uh, vulnerability and sharing the stuff that you're learning and being comfortable with not being perfect or not having everything down. I mean, your movies are not technically perfect, you know, completely by the book. This is going to be the way Hollywood would do it. Uh, but mm -hmm. there's a compelling nature about them because they're real. And I think fortunately, you know, in this age that we're in, real is what people are hungry for. And I think that you've kind of struck it, um, you know, right with that. So can you uh, tell people uh, where they can find your stuff, where they can watch these things that we're talking about? Yeah, um, my media company is called Five Aces Media. Uh, so my website's fiveacesmedia.net, and you can find that on YouTube too. Um, and the the upcoming project that I've basically been just working twenty four seven on for the past few months is called Mind Body Soul. Uh, so you can find that at mindbodysoulfilm.com, and same thing on Facebook and Instagram too. Awesome. All right, Josh, you got any more questions? Anything else to well, say? Well, Alex, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing more of your stuff and, and good luck in your, in your really, really long walk. By the way, you know, the way you introduced it, two dogs and your girlfriend on this long hike, it, it, it's got the makings of a comedy in there. You should be open to, you know, making a documentary comedy. Yeah. Guess, you know, so <laughs> just be ready. Yeah, there, there's going to be some comedic elements there, I'm sure. <laughs> Christian, do you have any uh, final things we need to remind people about, you know, where to to donate and so forth? Yeah, I do want to say in the donation department, um, I want to give a shout out to Bob and Janie Miller. Um, oh, I can't believe I'm getting so emotional. Um, 
So things have been really hard um, with the funding. Uh, It's kind of dried up. And uh, we do, like I've said before, we have about $1,000 a month in overhead. And that's basically paying our bills for subscription services and, you know, accounting work and, you know, just basically stuff, bills that I have to pay every month. Um, And uh, I don't have really any extra money to pay people that are helping out or pay any of the bills that I owe to people. So I carry that weight. And so I try to do as many voiceovers as possible to try to take that money and shuttle it over to Normandy Project. And it's just a lot of pressure with everything else. And in the middle of this week, um, Janie Miller and her husband, Bob, decided to make another donation to our film. And it just is such an encouragement um, to know that people are thinking about us and supporting us. And I just feel not alone um, when somebody... When that shows up, I mean, I I only get an you know uh, every week or two weeks I get a notification that um, new donations have been made, and uh, it's just so encouraging to my spirit. So, um, if if you can make a donation, every little bit helps. Um, we still have so much to do, so many bills to pay, just to get this movie uh, off the ground. So that is much appreciated. Um, you can watch our film and just keep watching our social media. We always put stuff up there, but at thegirlywarfreedom.com slash festivals. And um, please, if you're listening to this podcast, would you leave us reviews on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or for wherever you listen to your podcasts? Uh, we'd really like to increase our listenership and try to help some other filmmakers. Uh, so thank you so much for listening and that's about all I have to say today well hey everybody thanks for listening to Documentary First where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it yes you can bye everybody Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.